Hey everybody, my name's Bob, and welcome to Late Night Playlist. Grab your favorite adult beverage and get ready to talk about the album of the week with my friends and me. Let's get started. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us tonight on the Late Night Playlist, where we listen to a new album each episode and then give you our unvarnished thoughts on it. I'm here with my friends and co-hosts, Brett, Derek, and Tom. Hello. Cheers. All right. So first off, most important thing this week, we're sponsored by Heat by Holly, the deliciously spicy hot sauce. Ask for it by name. This week, we're going to be talking about a great album made in 1965 from Sunhouse live at Oberlin College. All right. So without any further ado, let's get right into it and let's talk about this album. What have you guys got? Hey, I'll start. So uh, this was a great reminder for me that when you listen to something like this, it I almost have to change my mindset. And I'm listening to it probably more as a historical artifact than I am like I would listen to another album. Because, you know, the, the, the production is, it, it is what it is. <laughs> And and the uh, the performance, you just have to remember this came from a long time ago. And the the songs, the structure, the instrumentation. Um, so it took me a little while to make that adjustment and get into that mindset when I was listening. And add on to that, Sunhouse was not a young man when he recorded this. He was not in his prime, so to speak. He was still excellent and a lot of fun to listen to, but he had disappeared from the blues scene for quite a long time and have been rediscovered by some researchers who were hunting down the old blues performers and was brought back into the circuit and, you know, taking that in a grain of salt or as information. And I still really enjoyed this album. I just, I just love Sunhouse. He's my favorite kind of old blues guy. Oh, you know, I think son. it's interesting that you mentioned that Derek, that, that he had been out of it for a long time. You know, I don't know, like you said, I don't know about it the truth of it or not, but the story goes that when they found Sunhouse working at the train station there in Rochester, New York, he hadn't played guitar in decades. Believe it. And and they had to uh, they had to get uh, anybody remember the band Canned Heat from yep, the I do yeah, yes yeah they had to get the guitarist from Canned Heat Alan Wilson they had to get him to go and teach Sunhouse to play guitar like Sunhouse so that he could go back on tour. I had read that because Wilson had had listened to the old recordings, the few that they had had of Sunhouse mm -hmm. and learned how to play the songs note for note. So he, he had taught Sunhouse again, how to play his own, <laughs> his own music. You know, it, it, I mean, that's a great point because a lot of these guys, these recordings were made back in the thirties and forties and, you know, you think about that scenario where they, they probably, you know, somebody might have bought him, bought him a bottle of whiskey and said, hey, I'm going to record some sides from you. I don't know if anything's going to happen. You know, this whole record business, we don't know if it's going to take off. We don't know if anybody's gonna, ever going to listen to these things. And here we are almost 100 years later after he probably wrote and originally recorded these songs and they've endured 
And here was this old guy that was expected, to, you know, 30 years after he originally recorded these songs, remember him, be able to play them. And, and he's probably one of the luckier ones that kind of survived to enjoy that little bit of notoriety when, you know, so many of these guys weren't around anymore. Right. right. It's funny you mentioned he survived because the story was he had quit playing because a lot of the bluesmen that he admired had died. He yeah. thought there was a curse on the blues players. And since his, he was coming up in the ranks, so to speak, because the superiors or I don't even want to say superiors is not the right word, but the is a contemporaries were dying off. He was concerned he was next. So that's why he had supposedly stopped playing. Let's yeah, do that's a avoid great the curse. He had, uh, he had, he was good friends with Charlie Patton and we, we know he didn't last too long. Uh, right. Heart the, disease. the, the, uh, MC here, Dick Waterman, uh, in this concert, he said, and I'm not sure that it's true, but he said that Sunhouse taught Robert Johnson. He did say it, uh, who Robert Johnson obviously died fairly young. Uh, I can see Sunhouse's point, you know, yeah. the story I read about Robert Johnson was that Robert Johnson was attending Sunhouse concerts in the Delta area there. And when Sunhouse would go on intermission, Robert Johnson would get the guitar play. Well, apparently he was very good and the crowd was not happy about it. So Sunhouse had told him, he said, look, stop this. I would give you lessons. Mm. And so he, Robert Johnson would go over for lessons for Sunhouse. Then the story was Robert Johnson disappeared for, from what I can tell, it's a little unclear for how long, from six months to two years time. It seems he was a young man, teenager, maybe late teens, and ran away from home because his parents didn't want him playing the blues. And he came back a really good guitarist after he'd gone. So the theory is, well, he spent that time learning how to play guitar and then returned back and, to Delta. And, and selling his soul to the devil. At That's the also the story. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I... I I'm going to assume that the practice had a lot more to do with it than selling your soul. You but do what you makes for do. good mythology, doesn't it? You know, it's uh, it's good PR. I, I tell you what, though, kind of jokingly, um, kind of not. About three songs in, Sun stopped and tuned the guitar, and it, it made it a much better listening experience for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think it might have been after Death Letter or... Uh, Right in that ballpark, he, you, you can hear him actually tuning, and uh, was perfect. His guitar style is kind of a rough playing anyway. I mean, he almost like slapping it and smacking the guitar when he plays, you know, especially if you watch the video of him playing. It's uh, very well, that's, aggressive. That's why I don't. I don't think that him and and I know that him and Robert Johnson were friends. They were, you know, they were around at the same time, and and they had dealings with each other. I just have a hard time believing that Sun taught him anything because their playing styles are just so different. And the the stories that I heard about uh, even even Charlie Patton and I don't know Brett maybe you haven't heard Charlie Patton. I, I certainly recommend getting some Charlie Patton albums and listening to them. But you know Charlie Patton, while he was friends with Sunhouse, wouldn't let Sunhouse play on the same street corner as him because he didn't think that Sunhouse was up to his level of playing. 
And there's probably a lot of truth to that, especially at the very beginning when Sunhouse had left his hometown because he had some trouble with the law and moved right. to the where, where Charlie Patton was. And they did eventually, I think, play together some on and off because there was I read that they actually had a a gospel group at one time together. They recorded some sides, you know, which is <laughs> Sunhouse used to be a preacher. You know, he right. he got religion, became a preacher, but he also apparently discovered whiskey and women at the same time. And so the preaching was an income, but it seemed like he spent a lot more time chasing the women and playing and ultimately playing the blues, which he apparently he preached against back in the day. I, I tell you, I think it's really cool when you listen to like a Rory Block or somebody like that. That's a very accomplished blues guitar player playing some of some songs yeah it, it really does bring them to life and and you, you know it, it makes it more contemporary i guess easier to listen to although it's his song he wrote it and you know he he fashioned the the the, the structure of it but you know hearing somebody be able to actually play it um in a little more pleasing manner uh, is makes it more enjoyable. Well, you guys know infinitely more about this topic than me. I didn't even know Sun House. I didn't know the name. Uh, it was like nothing. So, uh, you know, you guys had me do this, and and uh, I listened to it two different runs. Uh, you know, so I'm out on the road jogging, and I'm listening to Sun House this concert, and. Uh, uh, really interesting, you know. It, it definitely took my mind off the run, and uh, I love the stories he he told. You know, uh, it was it was meaningful. This was this was his life. You know, he's he's talking about what a death letter means. You know, a letter with a black stripe around it. You know, I thought that was interesting. You know, he's he's really tying the. Uh, uh, he, he's he's saying here is the inspiration for this song, you know. And this is real life. This is really what they were dealing with, you know. Kind of neat. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought I thought his monologues. You know, I love his songs, but his monologues were really a a window into his life. <laughs> you know, between between 1945 or so and 1964, you you really got to see. I I almost feel like I know that Lattimore guy he kept talking about with the two dead wagons, you know, <laughs> I, I, it was just so interesting listening to him talk about him and hearing the crowd. And then did you catch it where, where son actually tells everybody his address and Lattimore's address? <laughs> yep. So, yep. yep. <laughs> it's a different time. When, wasn't it? when would you so, do that? Right. Yeah. And here in 2021, I'm scared to tell people what my last name <laughs> is, you know, and <laughs> back then he's telling people what his address was. With I mean, no it's a good thing your last name's not anything like your first name. So that's uh, right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's confusing. So nobody would guess it. <laughs> Have you guys ever listened to Martin Simpson? Yes, I am so not familiar Martin with Martin Simpson. Does a killer version of "Grinning in Your Face," and uh, I think the album that that he put it out on might have even been titled "Grinning in Your Face." But that was that was probably uh, the first time where I heard something and kind of was able to draw the parallel back to Sun House. 
And it was it was it was really cool to hear Sun's version of that song on this on this album. And, and likewise, there's a guy here in South Carolina by the name of Jeff Liberty, and I wouldn't expect many people to know him outside of the Carolina blues scene. But he does a really kind of rock and raucous version of preaching the blues that was I absolutely love. And you know, it, it's so great to hear the originals, you know, do it and then hear what the modern take on that was and i and to be honest this kind of stripped down stuff that sunhouse does also opens that up right you can pay homage to the original but still take it in a whole new direction especially the slide on the resonator right he he probably didn't know anything about chord changes or or keys or or anything like that i mean yeah he bought a sand guitar with strings that a buddy hit a six string on and started showing him how to pick a little bit so that he knew how to play. He played an open G and then later was taught standard tuning so that he could expand his repertoire. But yeah, he was, uh, he fell in love with the bottleneck slide. I, I enjoyed, you guys brought it up and Tom, I'm sorry. I, I get back. I want you to remember what you were going to say. Uh, he, he I, I was interested in how he tied the spirituality into the blues and he definitely associated the devil with the blues (laughs) and the preaching with god you know and and he he sort of said okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do this blues thing for a while and then beg forgiveness for god (laughs) yeah i mean reading some biographies on him he definitely walked the line between both he would you know it was playing blues on saturday night and in church on sunday kind of thing (laughs) that's uh, both things uh, even they were they were at conflict with each other in his mind those were both money-making ventures exactly reading his biography is, yeah. he says he found religion while he was out working the fields and started telling people i found religion it's a whole lot easier to minister than it is to share crop yeah and that's uh so I didn't, you, didn't I he was, say he was going to get him religion so he didn't have to work exactly work. yeah there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> So as I was researching this thing, um, there's a lot of blues artists that came through Oberlin College. And Bob, you've probably seen it. I think there's a Mississippi John Hurt concert from Oberlin College. It's actually referenced Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the Sunhouse. I I have listened to it. And, you know, I'm a huge John Hurt fan. The thing was, and the reason why I thought Sunhouse was the way to go here was this Sunhouse album is just dripping with emotion. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and just just all over the place. And and I love John Hurt, but dude is just happy. Yeah. But Sunhouse, he just got a wide range of emotions all yeah. over the place. And there's just so much going on in his life. I think Brett alluded to this fact that really that really came out in his songs. This is his life. You know, this mm-hmm. is the things he was exposed to and lived, and, you know, the sins he committed and the joys he experienced. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a place to go if you want to hear somebody enunciate well, <laughs> if you want to hear good technique, if you want to hear, uh, you know, song structures. That, that's not what this is about. That's why, you know, I said I kind of had to do that mindset change in the beginning and, and listen to it for what it was. In one in one song, you guys will remember which one it was. I don't remember, but 
it was definitely later on in the in the concert where he said he wakes up between 12 a.m. and 3 every night and he's hugging the pillow where she used to lay. And I, mm-hmm. I, I thought, man, that's that's pretty. That's a know, strong that, lyric. That, that is, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe that's Sun's Blues. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Talking about later on, he also did some acapella stuff without even a guitar where mm-hmm. he's just singing where the strength of his voice was coming through. And I can only imagine what that thing was like 40 years younger. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure right. back in the day, if you were up preaching for your pulpit, you didn't have the microphones. So it was your voice resonating throughout the church and probably even the bars. I mean, resonator guitars came around later if I'm not mistaken because they were louder right. than regular guitars. And then a, and a rowdy bar or juke joint, whatever it is, it helped get the music across, but your vocals still had to be loud on top of that. Yeah. I think that, uh, I, I don't remember which one it was right off the top of my head. It was one of the two grinning in your face or John, the revelator. I don't remember which one, but one of them was from, from the 1930s. And I remember reading a, reading a story about it and it was, it was something that he had put together uh, from kind of right after his time preaching. And he was, he was still in that, you know, Baptist minister yell hell, hell and brimfire or whatever it is they they're talking about. And he was, he was up there, you know, slamming his foot on the floor and clapping his hands and trying to get everybody up there swinging along with him and and it, that just kind of came out what it was so it was really really interesting songs well that's bob that one of the things that always struck me about grinning in your face and i probably got this from the martin simpson version but it was reinforced by by son was uh, i that song to me it just always represented if if you know you're down you're you're being you're being having sand kicked in your face you know the man's coming down on you whatever and what do you do you just sit there and grin in their face and i just thought to me it's just a really powerful especially knowing Mm -hmm. it comes from some sun house and that that the age it came from the times the things he's probably come through and and to to kind of coin that song about just sitting there grinning in somebody's face, uh, right? Just powerful. That's it for me with the blues, and I've been a big blues fan for you know a cons- number of years in my adult life here. Probably younger, and I just didn't recognize it was the blues with Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, Badlands, and some of the other bands, Great White, that were definitely influenced by the blues and didn't recognize it at the time. Right. As adult, to me, the blues was not so much about the de- depressing aspect of life it was the recognition of yeah bad things happen and things suck it's that's not the only thing you know there's there's (laughs) a hint of optimism in the blues which i think that probably appealed to a lot of mass especially back in the depression and stuff like that which in the 1930s when we're talking about sunhouse out and about that was definitely in the depression era yeah things were hard but they're not always going to be hard and there's still a lot of good things in life, you know, and to I was talking about this earlier, where it, it made me think back to this guy, 30s and 40s, just putting out these songs, and and somebody coming along and saying, "Hey, that sounds pretty good. Let's get this down on record and see if anybody wants to buy it." 
And, you know, there's been a lot of controversy in, in the past couple decades about, you know, people taking advantage of these blues players. Mm-hmm. You know, I can I can understand where that's coming from, but it also, as I was, Brett, I was on my run when I was listening to this too, and one of the things I kept thinking about was, yeah, they didn't, when they were doing this back then in the 30s and 40s, they didn't know where this was going to go. They didn't know where the recording industry was going to go. Nobody knew anything about contracts and 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 royalties and lawyers <laughs> involved. Yeah, it's it's just hey, here's here's a bottle of booze. Let me record these songs and 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 here we are, this this far, far down the road still listening to it. But nobody envisioned that back then. Paid for the record that they recorded aside, <laughs> and here you are, and it's cash. It's a bird in the hand kind of thing you know and it's Here's uh, a stack of records give them out at your shows well and and you get to tell people that's me on the radio i'll i'll come to your bar and i'll play those songs there you go so i got a different take a little bit than you guys i don't see this a lot of the recordings that were done as necessarily taking advantage um a lot of these things thank god Somebody yeah. got a recorder near these people. Right, you know? right. Someone recorded it, and we have records of it. And actually, like 75 years later, they still found Sunhouse recordings that recorded his sides, but never released. But someone managed to hold on to these things. It's great. And then the Library of Congress around and was recording these guys, which was also fantastic. And like mm-hmm. you said, thank God someone did, because <laughs> yeah. it's uh, – Absolutely. Well, you know what? What the real problem is, though, is who who didn't they? Right. There's got to be a lot, you know, right? You know, there's there's tons of them out know. there. Yeah. Library of Congress and Smithsonian. Thank God, somebody had the foresight to capture some of this stuff. Yep. Yeah. 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 It'd be terrible yeah, if it was there's lost. There's some really amazing people out there, but a lot of them just didn't get caught. Because if you if you go back and you look at uh, Charlie Patton, Mm -hmm. you know, you read some of the stuff that people talked about with Charlie Patton. He wasn't the first. No, no. Right. But he's he's the one that got a few recordings down and bad hits off his recordings. Yeah. Yeah. So so there were people that he learned from that. He said these folks really knew what they were doing and were better than me. But we have no idea what these folks sounded like. And from (laughs) what I was reading, that's how Sunhouse got a record or was recorded because. Charlie Patton was kind of the hit maker for Paramount. They had recorded some other artists that didn't produce hits. So they went to Charlie right. Patton and said, who do you know that you think is worthwhile recording? And Sunhouse was one of those guys. He went to Sunhouse and said, hey, you're going to give us some money to come record this stuff. And they got on a train, went or actually got in a car, I think, drove up and recorded this stuff and got paid for it. Otherwise, would we have known about Sunhouse? Probably not. And to your point, who do we who do we miss? That was just fantastic that didn't get recorded. You know, going into small clubs and bars and listening to musicians, they're almost expected to be human jukeboxes, right? People want to hear certain songs and they expect these guys to know. They want to hear them delivered a certain way. Yes, they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And, uh, you know, I I I pity the folks that don't have the opportunity to hear some of this music and and i think there's 
there's very few people that probably still will sit down and listen to the, you know, your son houses and your, your uh, Robert Johnson's, your Reverend Gary Davis's, your, your Charlie Parker's, your Thelonious Monk's. Thank God they're captured and we've had the chance to hear them. And, uh, you know, at, at this point, people listen to people that were influenced by them, you know, influenced by them over multiple generations. And uh, they, they probably don't even take time to go back and hear the original source and how powerful that is. Yeah, that's a shame because this is this is an amazing album. I mean, all new art. I'm sorry. All Gary. new art is built upon the shoulders of artists that came before them. It's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of what we're talking about, it's weird that someone is truly revolutionary. Someone may take things in a new way. I mean, the white stripes were the blues. They were built upon mm -hmm. the work that, you know, Sunhouse did. Led Zeppelin then extended upon it. Black Sabbath extended upon it. A lot of other bands did along the ways. And it may seem revolutionary to time, but they're really not. They're evolutionary. They took something and slightly redefined it, made it their own. And it's glorious. And I'm glad that we could go back to the well, to the sources mm -hmm. of this stuff and see you what's know, funny. You, you think about the one, four, five chord progression, mm -hmm. your, your basic blues chord progression, your basic 12 bar blues, one, four, five chord progression. Uh, how many books have been written about that? How permeated <laughs> is that into our music today? I mean, let's face it. The vast majority of pop music you listen to on the radio, it's a one, four, five chord progression, mm -hmm. probably 12 bars. And uh, these guys didn't know any. They, they, they didn't understand the theory behind that. They just they, knew what sounded good. You're creating great tunes well like lightning hopkins said you know lightning don't play no 12 bar blues lightning change when he wants to <laughs> so <laughs> and he could do that because he's lightning Hopkins. yeah i mean he was lightning Hopkins. You know, he can do whatever the hell he wants to do right yeah jack white could do that because he's jack white and any of us can right. do that because of who we are whether <laughs> it resonates with an audience is a whole different matter it's it's nice to be able to recognize where it come from, comes from and where it's going, you know, where you want to take it is your own thing, but to acknowledge where it comes from and to accept it is really pretty. So fine. juvenile comment coming here. So warning, uh, they seem to be enjoying it too. You know, you listen to them and they're, they're, they're enjoying it. They're having fun. Um, I didn't catch any of this with Sunhouse's songs for obvious reasons, but, uh, you know, him being a Baptist minister and all that, but, but a lot of them mix in some dirty, you know, dirty lyrics from time to time. And, and right. uh, you know, Holly's got one that she listens to that uh, something about he's going to come and, you know, he's no spring man, but but he can compress the springs on your bed for you, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. How right? you be dirty without being dirty. You know, I'm trying to. Yeah. But a lot of these guys, they, you know, that was, you know, you, you read about Reverend Gary Davis and, uh, you know, Reverend Gary Davis had some really, uh, 
Yeah, he had some risque songs. And then he got married mm-hmm. to a woman that wanted him to stay away from the blues. And he had more, went in a, more of a religious song direction. And, but he would still sneak away and play those songs, you know, and, and, uh, and, and sing those lyrics that, that his wife didn't want him to, to, to sing. And even what Mississippi John Hurt and Candyman Blues. That's what I was just thinking. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Mississippi John Hurt songs had uh, double entendres, even, even some of the songs where people are like, Oh, that's a religious song. Is it now? <laughs> Is it really? No? And I thought, I think with those guys, there wasn't that clear delineation back then. There was, yeah, you know, we're human. You know, you're you're going to do some of that. Even a good man, even a preaching man, is going to do mm-hmm. some of that. You don't give that up just because you're a preacher. Just don't be so overt. Well, Sunhouse <laughs> definitely did not give up that when he was preaching. That cost him preaching gigs. Well, and, and how many times was Sunhouse married? Five, six? It depends. The stories <laughs> change. I mean, there's legal that. there. Apparently there were the legal marriages and there were the marriages they call jumping the broom, <laughs> you know, which was right, not right. a legal okay, marriage. Yeah. But, you know, one of these broadcasts, we need to do uh, do Lightning Hopkins and Towns Van Zandt. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and figure yeah. out the parallels between the two. I think that would be very interesting. Kind of have a uh, matchup of the two. Right. Yeah. Right. A head, a head to head. Because I think that would be a lot of fun. Lightning was 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 uh, Townsend's hero. Lived his life <laughs> right. like him. Played his music. Yeah, we could talk about Towns in a whole another podcast because he's an interesting cat in and of himself. Yeah, that, you know, and was, that might be like a twelve. And, and I love Towns Van Sant <laughs> songs. You know, me, he's like Bob Dylan for country music. You know, it's uh, right. you listen to his music, and especially especially if someone else records it. It's not only great when he records it, but when someone else puts their own spin on it, you're like, that's such an amazing song. You know, like Mr. Mr. Mud and Mr. Gold. And that's one of his songs that mm-hmm. I can just listen to over and over and over again. And I just think that's the pinnacle of, you know, you're this guy is just spitting out these words and playing the guitar and telling a story. And where did he come up with it? Waiting Around to Die, one of his songs. Oh, he yeah. apparently wrote on his honeymoon. His wife was not <laughs> happy about that, you know, because <laughs> they just got married and he's writing a song like waiting around to die, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Women, what are you going to do? Yeah, right? So that's a way around to die. Yeah. But <laughs> to your point, uh, yeah, son, like the ladies, apparently was very popular with the ladies. And I can only imagine the frustration his wife's had with him because just think of the play that guy got working on the train you know he he, (laughs) it was probably like a revolving door for him (laughs) i'm sure it was a revolving door in the juke joints because reading his biography it sounded like he had just women you know a stacked up waiting someone else's wife or daughter yeah that was fair game for son you know, and it's a, not exactly the Baptist minister role model that you're looking for, but, you know, it was probably the police musician role model. Hey, he got paid. He did get paid. Yes, he he did. He did. I don't know how much, but <laughs> that'd be an interesting one. I wonder how much Sunhouse actually made for, for doing things like this. I know that 
to, to backtrack to this Dick Waterman guy, mm-hmm. he's very interesting. Uh, he was the MC, uh, in case I hadn't said that earlier. He was the MC for this thing. And he was one of the people that went around and was finding all of these older blues guys who who could come back and still play. And, you know, obviously two of the ones that he found was Sunhouse and Mississippi John Hurt. So he was booking them with concerts. He was making sure they got record deals and things of that nature. Well, when these older gentlemen started to pass away, Mr. Waterman, what he decided to do was, and this is what I've heard. I don't know if this is true or not. What he decided to do was he moved away from booking new blues acts and getting them record deals and getting them concerts. And what he started doing was making sure that the families of people like Sun House and Mississippi John Hurt were getting the money that they deserved for him. from a, from the albums and you know, the concerts and everything. Yeah. He started ensuring that they were getting their due from all this because he knew that the record industry was kind of messed up. So so he moved he moved down to I don't remember if it was Alabama or Mississippi and he pretty much got out of the record industry except for he he was helping them make sure they got the money that they were they were due. Uh, but what he did start doing was he started taking pictures and he'd been taking pictures his entire life, but he started doing it professionally. And his book, and I mentioned to you guys that I, I bought his book. Dude has like 200 pages of pictures uh, of the of the old blues guys. I love stuff like that. What's make, the title put, make sure you put a link to that book and yeah, it's between midnight and day. The last unpublished blues archive. As a who photographed blues here in South Carolina, especially you know small blues concerts and uh, stuff like that, I would be very wow. interested in that book, and I think other people would too. Yeah. And so, so I'm going to say the name again. The name of the book that the MC Dick Waterman wrote is Between Midnight and Day. The last unpublished blues archive, and it's got a lot of great pictures in it, uh, and and it's got stories uh, that he tells, and that some of the artists have told also in there that go along with some of the pictures. And it's a really interesting book. You know, it's it's a couple hundred pages, but it's not. You know, you don't have to read it from start to finish. I'm sorry, Tom. You know, it's not a start to finish type of book. It's a pick it up in the middle and and read a few paragraphs sort of book it's a coffee table book it's a yeah it's a yeah, yeah. Sitting book. sounds like a great yeah, book yeah exactly it really Part does so you know it's, a- it's it's really interesting so you're you showing that book and the title of that book i went and looked it up on amazon and uh-huh. it, it reminded me because this album came up so have you guys ever listened to Corey harris yes 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 so fantastic you know, Corey harris had an album called between midnight and day which is great but the Corey Harris album I love is Fishing Bike. And I've got that one, yeah. You know, great slide, great guitar player, great slide player. Um, you know, interestingly enough, it's not even for sale on Amazon anymore. Shame hmm. on them. But he, he is one of those guys, and Guy Davis is another one. So I always equated Corey Harris to a lot of these Delta guys, like a Robert Johnson, like a Sunhouse. And then Guy Davis, I equate more to 
you know, more of the finger picker, uh, you, you know, maybe some Blind Blake, maybe some Reverend Gary Davis. But I saw Guy Davis in concert, and that was just an incredible freaking show. And uh, both those guys, I think, are, are just brilliant representatives of kind of the new modern day blues music. Good technique, good, good singing, great, great albums, uh, good production. You guys got any final thoughts on this album? As the most ignorant one of the group by a mile, by 10 miles, I'd never heard of Sunhouse. So there you go. I can tell you, I really appreciate you open my, opening my eyes to this one. This was good. I really enjoyed, I always do enjoy looking into someone else's work. You know, if they write a, a biography, an autobiography, I love reading it. I love looking through their eyes. And this concert, he really put his soul out there. You know, he said, this is me. He put it out there. So I really enjoyed it. It's genuine. That That's one of the things I love about this music is it's genuine. And I think as we go on with this, you know, we don't have to constrain ourselves to the blues or anything like that. But, you know, I, I think if we bring something to the table here, let's listen to some really genuine music. Absolutely. And Sunhouse is genuine. There's no doubt about that in my mind. He's, he's one of the greats classic bluesman. I don't want to say he's better than Robert Johnson because that's going to cause controversy, but he's my favorite of the old blues guys. I I am glad he tuned his guitar. <laughs> you know, you know, Tom, your ears are much more sensitive than mine are to that sort of thing. So I, I agree. I think that uh, this, this was just, he poured himself out in that in that concert how uh, much do you think he got paid you know, for his, that concert probably next to nothing would be my guess yeah i i bet it's it was oberlin much. college i can't imagine they're paying an obscene amount of money for anything 1965 too you know so maybe pay 300 dollars. you know <laughs> he probably got two-fifths of whiskey for all right guys Thanks for such an interesting conversation about Sunhouse's Live at Oberlin College album. Hope everybody has a great evening and make sure you drink some water to help ward off that hangover that's coming in the morning. Next time on Late Night Playlist, we'll be talking about Warren Zevon's Learning to Flinch. So make sure you enjoy all your sandwiches between now and then. If you liked our podcast, don't forget to follow it so you get notified as each episode becomes available. From all of us here at the Late Night Playlist to all of you out there, keep jamming.